0: Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.
1: Hey North Texas food fans, welcome to Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News. Each week we dish on the local restaurant scene, food and drink trends, cooking and shopping tips, and unpack everything that makes North Texas one of the most vibrant, diverse, and ambitious food scenes in the country. I'm your host, food editor Aaron Bookie, and today we're recording at the North Texas Food Bank in Plano with CEO Trisha Cunningham. As the holidays approach, it's important to remember our neighbors who are facing hunger, and there are almost 700,000 people who are food insecure in North
0: Texas alone.
1: We'll also be talking about our new Retro Recipes project, At the Dallas Morning News, and what it's like diving into dishes of the past. It all gets started right after this.
0: Central Market is really into food, like fish flown in so fresh it still has jet lag into food. Our sourdough starter has been around since Grunge was a thing into food. We're talking more prime cuts than a greatest hits album into food. Central Market is really into food. If you are, too, then we're the HQ for you. Whether you're a make-every-recipe-in-the-cookbook-foodie or a my-favorite-recipe-is-reheat type who just digs the delectable, no place makes every day more delicious like Central Market. Really into food. Shop now at centralmarket.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone. Be sure to go to dallasnews.com slash food after this for information on our show and helpful links. You can also share your thoughts with us at eatdrink at dallasnews.com. Later on, we'll be visiting with Trisha Cunningham of the North Texas Food Bank. But right now, I'm joined by food writers Sarah Blaskovich and Claire Baller to talk about a new project Claire has been working on. It's called Retro Recipes, and it's a video series in which Claire finds a recipe from the Dallas Morning News archives and tries to cook it. So Claire, this is harder than it sounds, right? It is.
2: <laughs> it is. I have found that recipe writing is different today than it used to be. So a lot of the recipes that I have encountered are written in a way that they often expect you to know exactly what they mean without saying what they mean. So there's a little bit of deciphering that goes into it and a whole lot of digging to find some of these recipes because our archives go back to the 1800s. What's the oldest recipe that you've found so far? One of the oldest ones that I have seen, you can hardly call it a recipe, but it was from 1890-something, and wow. it's a recipe for chewing gum. Oh, what? Yeah. So here's the thing that's really wild, too, is that I have yet to really identify exactly when recipes, the way that we think of them, started being published because the paper was really written by and for men mm-hmm. for quite some time and there was this idea that recipes were not an interesting thing to have in the paper until a woman's section came around. Mm -hmm. Because women don't read. Right exactly. (laughs) They just (laughs) cook. So there there aren't that many recipes that go that far back unfortunately but there is that chewing gum one. There was another one for like Vatican punch something like that. Oh my gosh. Did Vatican Punch have alcohol in it? I think it does.
3: <laughs> well, you know, Jesus loved wine. Jesus yeah, loved
2: wine. wine, yeah.
1: So what have you it's made true. so far?
2: Okay, so far I have made a meatloaf recipe from the 70s. It's called Loaf of Love, and it is a meatloaf made with jellied cranberry sauce in it, and a layer of instant mashed potatoes on top. So it's kind of like a shepherd's pie meets meatloaf plus cranberry.
3: Julie, you need to put like slow jams music <laughs> behind the Loaf of Love explanation. <laughs> just feels right. You dim the lights, it, it as does. Claire tells us about it.
4: It does, even though it, it triggers my gag reflex yeah. also, though. yeah, yeah. Uh, It's a very 70s name. you? Yeah
2: husband love it? He did. He <laughs> yeah, James did like it. And I made, of course, too much of it. Right. And we had so much loaf of love in our fridge. And I just because I couldn't bring myself to get rid of it. And I didn't have to. James ate most of it. Was it good? It actually was pretty good. The cranberry was kind of A smart addition I think it kept the whole thing really I'm sorry to everyone trigger word moist um moist (laughs) I don't know what I don't know how else to describe it we need another word and it added a subtle sweetness that was actually kind of nice in addition to that last week I made an apple roll recipe from 1953 think cinnamon rolls but with chopped apples and raisins and no glaze So there are moments in this when I'm like standing there in the kitchen and I'm like, what the hell am I doing? And this one had you make a syrup, just water and sugar and spices and pour that over the dough before you bake it. So it is just this watery, sloshy, doughy (laughs) thing. Where I was like, well, this isn't right, and it was, and then it turns out, you know, and that's how this has been throughout of just these really funny moments of like, what is happening? Um, and then magically the recipe turns out. I did attempt a gelatin mold. Why three times? <laughs> you <laughs> had so I, many options, Claire, and oh, that's what you went with. <laughs> I just, you know, I was really feeling confident. I have yet to be able to do it. Um, how many times? Three times. The first time was a dumb mistake. This is really embarrassing to admit. I'll do it anyway. It calls for lemon jello. I bought somehow lemon pudding. (laughs) Okay. Different. (laughs) Different. And then uh, this one will be coming out soon. I just made a hot buttered cranberry punch. Non-alcoholic could mm. probably benefit from some alcohol in it. <laughs> it had jellied cranberry as well. Another recipe with jellied Excellent. cranberry in it. A lot, a There's a that. lot of that and butter. Yeah, that wasn't it like you put a pat of butter on the top of it on the hot cranberry cider? Like hot buttered rum. Mhm. But mostly just cranberry uh, sauce and pineapple juice and no rum. And no rum.
4: I do feel like the only reason you would ever make a jello mold is to like hide a stapler in it
2: <laughs> oh. <laughs> All, uh, <laughs> the office Yes. yeah uh, this one called for chunks of avocado Mm-mm. to be Mm-mm. suspended in the lemon jello well that's
3: why you did it you buried the lead because that's so disgusting you were <laughs> like we have to do this yeah 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 well and is it here's green the thing. it's yellow lemon jello with with, with the green avocados in it. and
2: there. they recommend that you serve it With skewers of ham and cheese. Skewers. (laughs) Yeah.
4: See, I was going to say, just slice up some little wieners and put it in there. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. Julie.
2: So this, (laughs) but this is what drew me to start doing this in the first place is that you see some of these and you're like, well, that's got to be a joke. But it's not. And it just is astounding, the difference in how we eat today to how people used to eat. You got to think that there are some gems in there that have maybe been kind of forgotten to time, probably things that should be forgotten to time, and we'll leave them there after I test them out. No, we won't. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be on TikTok forever. I'm going to drag them back. (laughs) It's a really fun thing to do to kind of pull recipes from times that my grandparents were in the kitchen cooking for their families. It's just a cool little peek into a different world. And how can people watch those? These will be on the Dallas Morning News TikTok page and then also on the DMN Food
3: Instagram account. For anybody over 30, you can watch the TikTok on Instagram as an Instagram reel. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah. You're welcome. Just a geriatric millennial over here trying to help people out.
4: It's funny how we kind of get away from certain foods or certain practices, you know, and maybe there's food that is still good. Like, I know people are getting grossed out by bologna these days, but I still love a good fried bologna or Spam. Yeah,
2: I think that there's ways that you can take these things that people used to eat that were common and and kind of bring them into our century and see if, if it still sticks. We just had a Spam experience the other day. We did. Uh, a spam experience. Yes,
3: thanks to Sarah. <laughs> Experimental so, spam. <laughs> no one else has decided to bring in weird food in this podcast. It's now become my identity,
1: which <laughs> I just kind of rely on you. To I do really that. just thought
3: everyone else would do it too. Well, so you're, you're so good at it. <laughs> sorry, yeah. sorry. But I got an embargoed press release that Spam was putting out a new flavor for the holidays. The flavor is figgy pudding, and what you won't hear in this next clip is that we all had to figure out what figgy pudding was. And (laughs) And what is and is not in it. And then we decided to take this Spam Figgy Pudding... We cooked it first so that you could have little browned cubes of Spam. We tried those. We also made it into a Dutch baby pancake, which had some cranberry butter and the little browned cubes of figgy pudding Spam in it. And that was kind of an inspired recipe. The Dutch baby pancake itself was good. The addition of Spam and some other things took it in a bit of a direction. But (laughs) we'd love for y'all to hear my six-year-old daughter, Haley, was with us in the test kitchen. And uh, this is what happened when we made Spam with her. When you eat it, I want you to tell us what you think, okay? Okay. Um, So we've made spam figgy pudding for reasons we're not really sure. It smelled crazy when we cooked it, and now we want to try it. This one's first. Okay. What
1: does it taste
3: like, mommy? Um, it tastes like cinnamon-flavored ham. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You want to try it?
2: Holiday ham.
3: We made this together. Let's try it.
2: Mm. Just a teeny tiny bite. I'm gonna try
3: one. Okay, Claire. You
2: want two also? No? Okay. Yeah. It does taste like cinnamon
3: spiced ham. Yeah. It's not bad. It's, it's definitely- very holiday. Like, if you're in the Thanksgiving, Christmas...
2: I'm getting cloves. Also. Yeah.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will taste one.
2: It has a little bit of a potpourri. <laughs> a potpourri mm. thing going on. Oh my god. Uh-oh, you don't like it. Do you get the potpourri?
1: Mm-hmm.
3: As soon as you said that, Sorry. though, I put it in my mouth. Sorry. So no. It was perfect timing.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: I think it tastes like when you put, you know, that pot on your stove just exactly. to like scent the house exactly. of all Close. the things, and then you threw some spam in there. That's what this would. Taste like. So you don't love it? I kind of appreciate the aftertaste a little better than the initial power. It,
2: it comes it's pretty on powerful. pretty hard. Yeah,
3: it's it, powerful.
2: It definitely needs to be browned. I can't really fathom eating it not without with that some crunch color on it.
3: Yeah, correct. Yeah. yeah. Will you please eat one? No. I'll eat one with you. Will you try?
4: No. Okay. <laughs> I, lo- I love hearing you guys try all the mommy tricks. Like, yes. I'll try it. We <laughs> made
3: this together. Nope, not going to do it. I think we tried four different ways. <laughs> but she did
2: end up eating it once it was in the pancake.
3: When it was in the Dutch baby pancake, she did eat it. And then she would pick out some of the pieces of Spam and just eat the pancake. Because it also, when we finished it, it had maple syrup on it and a cranberry butter, which my six-year-old single-handedly made. It was part of the recipe. But it was just cranberry jelly from the can mixed with, I want to say equal part, softened Sweet butter. Butter. Yeah, just whip it up. It turns beautiful shade of pink. And we should put a little dollop of the cranberry butter on top. And so I feel like this is inspo for anyone, whether you make the spam Dutch baby pancake or not, that cranberry butter should really be on our Thanksgiving tables. Well,
4: and especially if you have leftover canned cranberry, you could yeah. use it for that after Perfect. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Or you could do it for your loaf of love. Yeah. You know. <laughs> so you have options. Yep.
3: <laughs> it would be really good on like waffles, like like the ego yeah. waffles that I have in the freezer that the kids like to eat in the morning. We took the cranberry butter home because there was extra cranberry butter. It's in my fridge.
2: Or I can see someone like making their thanksgiving leftovers sandwich with yes. cranberry there you go butter. there yes. you go claire
4: yeah. So back to the figgy pudding spam, what I'm getting from you guys is that it was kind of like a Christmas candle married a congealed meat product. 100%,
2: yes. Julie. Mm.
4: And there are no figs, by the way. There's no figs <laughs> there in are no figgy no figs pudding. involved in figgy pudding.
2: They lean Potpourri hard like. into Christmas yeah. candle.
4: I do want to try it now. I See? like spam. It comes in
2: a two pack. The unopened one is on Aaron's desk. Oh. So... <laughs> they always end up on my
3: desk. <laughs> and look, if you don't eat it right away, it will be fine for
0: years. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
1: thanks guys stay with us coming up next we'll be chatting with trisha cunningham of the north texas food bank Welcome back, everyone. We're here at the North Texas Food Bank with Trisha Cunningham, President and CEO. We just took a wonderful tour of the Plano facility, and now we're going to talk about the work the Food Bank does and why this time of year is so important.
5: Hi, Tricia. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so great to be here. So first, please tell us just a brief history of the Food Bank. This is actually a birthday year for us. It's Ooh. our 40th anniversary. And uh, the Food Bank started 40 years ago because we had four... Hunger-Fighting Women, we had Catherine Walt-Hall, we had uh, Liz Minyard, Joe Curtis, Lorraine Griffin-Kircher. They saw that there was food going to waste in our community, and they saw people that were hungry. And they said they've heard about this concept called a food bank, and they said, you know, maybe we need that here. They went and they worked together, and they put together the proposition for a food bank, In that very first year, they distributed about 400,000 pounds of food, and they had to work through a lot of legislation to be able to get this set up. To put that in context, that 400,000, it wasn't a full year, but it was their 400,000 pounds of food. Today, we distribute that almost every day.
1: How much demand have you seen grow over the years? I know the pandemic was a big issue for you guys and meeting the needs there, but what are the needs like now?
5: If you go back and you look through time with our 40 years, the first 35 years of the food bank, we provided access to 68 and a half million meals. For the last five years, we added another 68 and a half million. Wow. So in five years, we've doubled our distribution, primarily because the needs were so high. And we were proven the fact that if we have access to the resources, that we truly can ensure that no one in our community goes hungry. That's what we wanted. There was still a gap that we were working to try to fill, five years ago. But we know that with the adequate resources, with the food, with innovation, that we can try to make sure that we can fill those gaps overall. But if you think about what's happening right now, you talked about the pandemic. And yes, we saw a spike in needs during the pandemic like we had never known before. From March of this year, where most people think, oh, well, you know, most people were getting back to work and things were going down. We saw the inflation impact hit. Many families that had been relying upon pandemic support and relief, many of those programs have all gone away now. Inflation had gone up. And so you're seeing increases in food, rent, transportation, all those things. So we've seen a 17% increase since March of this year. We're serving at needs even higher than the pandemic right now because of inflation. Individual families don't have the support that they had during the pandemic, and nor does a food bank but you know we need that additional support from government from our community to make sure that we can continue to ensure that no one goes hungry in our community. Can you
1: walk us through the actual logistics of the North Texas Food Bank?
5: Sure, no problem. We serve 13 counties. So we go all the way up to the Red River, we go to a couple of counties down south of the Dallas County area. We go a little bit east out towards Kaufman, Hunt, Hopkins, Lamar County, and then we go uh, to the west of us is Tarrant Area Food Bank. We shared Denton County together, but the needs are huge overall in those 13 counties. So it's urban, suburban, and rural hunger. And the way that we do that is going to be very different depending upon the community that we're in and how we serve. What we see is that there are about 700,000 individuals right now that are projected to be food insecure in our community. And that actually is based on data that was from when families were still getting access to a lot of the, the stimulus checks. But we have seen that spike recently. Overall, about 250,000 of those are children. Regardless of those numbers, what we've consistently seen here in North Texas, there are 200 Feeding America food banks. We're one of those 200 food banks. Out of those service areas of those Feeding America food banks, we have the fifth highest number of people in our community who struggle with having enough food on their table, and it's the fourth highest for children. And for us, that's unacceptable. And for us to be able to continue to move forward and make sure that we can have a thriving community, we know that we need to solve this. Food insecurity is very complicated, but feeding hungry people is not as long as we have the resources, I think we proved during the pandemic that we can make sure that we do that.
1: Where do you get your funding? Like we were just taking yeah. the tour, you had a whole area dedicated to food that you purchase and food that is donated, but then you have a whole separate area for the government-issued food.
5: Correct. So if you look at how we operate, and I'll just give you a little bit of behind the scenes here, this year we have a $60 million operating budget. $40 million of that is going to come from public support. $20 million of that is is deficit spending based upon cash reserves that we have in hand so that's just the operating budget overall the operation of the food bank is about a 200 million dollar a year operation so that includes the value of food that we receive so that extra 140 million dollars worth is food so if we don't get that food in the door then that means even more is going to have to be purchased or that people are going to go hungry What we have seen is about 20 to 25% of our resources come from government resources. The rest of it comes from our community. So it's either foundations, corporations, about half of our funding comes from individuals. People care about their neighbors, and they don't want them to go hungry.
3: When it comes to donations, are you looking for regular folks to give you donations or is that not the most efficient way for the food bank to operate?
5: If you look at it overall, we have people that love to be able to give us something tangible like a canned good and we will absolutely take that. We know that seeing that box sometimes inspires individuals to go and buy that extra case of food and put it in there for their neighbors. So we we do take those donations but from a logistics standpoint, it is actually better to have funding. uh, For every dollar, that we receive we've been able to turn that into to three meals now costs are going up and they are going up for us as well but right now we're still trying to make that dollar turn into three meals for us but what happens whenever someone donates that food it comes into our warehouse we have about 30,000 volunteers a year that help us to be able to sort that food they have to check every can that comes in through a community donation what is the date on that can is there a dent in that can so You know, it's not helpful if somebody just cleans their pantry and gives us all their old dated product, because if we wouldn't eat it ourselves, we're not going to give it to our neighbors to eat. We do have to follow very strict safety standards, just like anyone that provides food out.
1: And what about the government-issued food?
5: One of the most important things that we have through the legislative session is the surplus agriculture grant. Right now, in the state of Texas, we have about $10 million allocated to all the food banks in Texas for surplus agriculture. And we get about 15% of that. That's our share based upon the size of food bank that we are and the number of people that we're serving with that. But when we're going into the next legislative session, one of the key items that we're really going to focus on is we want to double that. Because we know that produce is so important to a healthy diet that we want to make sure that our fellow Texans have access to this. They know how to use it. And it also helps the farmers. This is an economic stimulus program for farmers as well. This is product that they would normally till under or would be thrown out during the manufacturing process. What this grant does is it pays the farmers to continue to harvest that product and it pays for the cost to be able to get it to food banks. So it's actually a win-win.
3: Now when it comes to giving people produce they also then need to know what to do with it. Something I think about a lot is that it is faster and cheaper to eat fast food than it is to buy produce from the grocery store and do something with it. What do you do to be sure that the people who are getting this food know how to cook it correctly?
5: So about 30% of everything that we distributed last year was fresh fruits and vegetables because we know that is so important. It tends to be more expensive at the grocery store. And just like you said, Sarah, sometimes it's cheaper and easier just to go buy and get fast food. But we also know that there is a high correlation between food insecurity, those that don't know if they're going to regularly have meals on their table, and health issues. So it's really important to us. We have nutritionists here on our staff that try to help, others understand how they can use this fresh food. So many of our pantries, they will have recipe cards right by where the nutritious food is. Uh, I use the example of an eggplant. Many people don't know what to do with an eggplant except to be able to cut it up and maybe fry it. Well, there's many options for eggplant. We did a demo out in our garden with a little pop-up burner and they cut it up and they made a wonderful eggplant saute and it was just super easy to be able to do and it was delicious. And just helping our community understand that there are so many healthy options that are quick and easy. I mean, I mean, like I said, they did it out in the garden 15 minutes from the time they started to the time they had a finished dish. We also have a cooking matters class that many of our partner agencies refer clients to that class so that they can not only understand how to cook food, but how they can purchase food economically that can really help to feed their family. The holidays for so
2: many people is a time of food access. What are ways that people can redirect some of that? Honestly,
5: more of our funding for our annual operations comes in during the holidays because people People care about their neighbors. They want to be able to give back. They think about the holidays overall. We have opportunities for people to volunteer here at our distribution center on Tuesday through Saturday. There's morning and afternoon shifts. We have special events that people can help us volunteer with. All of the partners and our 400 partners, they have volunteer needs as well. Here at the Food Bank, we have about 30,000 volunteers that we need every year in order to be able to help us offset that cost of operations, to be able to pack boxes, pack food for kids, backpacks for kids that have food over the weekend. But during the holidays, many people love to be able to give back. And maybe we've seen uh, corporations where they've done a gift to the food bank in honor of their employees, and it's a more of an honorarium-type gift. We've had people that have sponsored holiday parties, and as their gift to their guest at the holiday party, they say, we're giving a donation in our guests' names, and they get a card when they go to their holiday party that says, a gift was given in your name to the North Texas Food Bank. Funds are actually the easiest and best way, and there's ways on our website at ntfb.org, where if you go to donate now, there's many different options of how you can try to take advantage of these kind of gifts during the holidays. Uh, We have holiday cards to purchase, and for every one of those cards... It's a $5 contribution to the North Texas Food Bank that people can buy online and use those for their holiday cards and greetings and know that the person receiving that had 15 meals provided in their honor. So giving, giving of your time, giving of your financial resources, giving of your voice. We talked about advocacy. That is a great way to help the food bank even during the holidays. We know that there are many newly elected officials coming in there. If you know some of those, please tell them to support food policy and to reach out to the North Texas Food Bank and try to find out what's on our minds and what do we need from a policy standpoint going into the Texas legislative session. The main thing is to help your neighbors. Every family in our community, the holidays need to be special for them too. They should not have to make a choice between having food on their table, having to pay their rent, having to pay for their medicine, and those are the choices that many are are making. And the holidays right now provides hope food is hope for many of our families in our community, and we want to make sure that they have access to the amount of food that they need.
2: What are you hoping to see from a food policy standpoint for the next legislative session?
5: There are several things that we actually work towards. So one is the surplus egg grant. We want to double that. We want to see from a 10 million to 20 million. There are some programs called the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, the SNAP program, which is the former food stamp program. There are some restrictions on that program right now, let's say, for those that uh, have served their time in jail, whenever they get out, they don't have anything. They can't apply for the program until they get out. And so they're basically, they don't have anything when they get out, which sort of lends them to have to figure out what they're going to be able to do to be able to get resources to eat. And so then you get into this vicious cycle. If we can have them be able to apply for the SNAP benefits, which they're eligible for whenever they get out before they can get a job in there, then it sort of gives them a ramp to be able to get back on their feet instead of not having anything whenever they get out. So there's things that we can do that just makes it better for our community. We do have on our website as well an advocacy section, so if anyone is interested in our specific advocacy policies and ways that you might help with that, please sign up for our newsletter at ntfb.org. Just search for advocacy, and you'll have a place where you can sign up for our advocacy newsletter to hear about all the great things that are going to be happening during the legislative session.
1: So you mentioned earlier that North Texas is the fifth largest metropolitan area in the country for food insecurity. Correct. Why do you think that is?
5: Historically, Texas has always had higher food insecurity. The reason for that can just be there's there's a lot of differentiation between those that have resources and those that don't. And we make it very difficult, honestly, for many of those that don't to try to get beyond their situation of hunger. We've talked about food insecurity being very complicated. One of the things that we've done is we have a new strategic plan in place called Nourish North Texas. And we have two basically pillars of that plan. One is food for today. So how do we continue to advance how we're distributing food? And that has to do with food equity as well, making sure we're distributing to all the places. But then there's this one called Hope for Tomorrow. And it addresses some of these issues that we call root cause issues of hunger. One of them could be they're in a low wage job. So, how do we take food and place it into non traditional places where we haven't partnered with before? One of the things that I learned when I first came to the North Texas Food Bank, which my five year anniversary was in July, but uh, when I first came here, I learned that one of the number one reasons why students dropped out of Dallas College is because they couldn't afford to meet their basic needs and stay in school. Even if they had their tuition paid for, they still had to have income to be able to make sure that they could meet their basic needs. The number one thing they needed was food so Dr. May at the time we were doing a mobile pantry distribution down at Dallas College and he said how can I get this at all of my campuses and so we worked with them and their college to make sure that we had the mobile distributions but then we made sure they had on-site pantries and also worked with their social services team that do a lot of their uh, applications for students who are maybe low-income to help them to identify students who might be eligible for other government programs that our social services team could help them with. But having that food makes the difference between someone being able to go and complete a degree where they can have a livable wage and not. And so we make it hard for people to be able to thrive. Workforce development programs is another example. People would have to take like a dedicated six to eight weeks to complete a particular trade type program. During that time, if they're not able to work and they have a family at home, that again is a reason why they would drop out is because they didn't have enough resources to be able to stay in that workforce development program that is going to be better for them in the long run, but they just can't make ends meet. So they drop out. So we're bringing food alongside workforce development programs. Healthcare and health is another one. We don't have any major announcements here yet, but just know we are working with a major hospital institution to put a pantry on site at a hospital. Think about people that don't have the access to the healthy food they need whenever they go home. That's not gonna help their condition long-term. So how do we make sure that we have access to food for those that are being dismissed from the hospital so that doctors and social services team members can identify where there may be a food gap, help refer them to either this particular location or to a local food pantry in their community so that they can continue to monitor their health. Parkland Hospital recently did a study and they showed that access to nutritious food does help reduce repeat emergency room visits.
1: Okay, so I see you guys are doing 50 mobile distribution events throughout the holidays. Are you guys going to have traditional Thanksgiving foods like turkeys? How are you going to do that?
5: This year there is actually a turkey shortage, but we place our turkey order in March. Oh, wow. Because, wow. because we have to make sure that we have access to the, to the birds that we need for the holidays because we know everyone loves traditional Thanksgiving, and that includes those families that we serve as well. But they're more expensive this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, As you know, when you go to the grocery store, the cost of birds have gone up because of avian flu. I mean, some of the different flus that are happening out there, they weren't able to produce as many. Uh, We did a distribution at UNT Dallas, and we gave away turkeys last Saturday. And we had about 250. Most of the turkeys go through our partner agency network to be able to serve those clients locally in the community. But we try to make sure that families have what they need for a traditional Thanksgiving with their families as well. And how many turkeys did you order? We ordered a whole lot. We ordered about $300,000 worth of turkeys. Wow. Yeah. So if you just think, though, that $300,000 didn't buy as many for us this year. So we were lucky to have Albertsons Tom Thumb come to the rescue, and they provided us with some gift cards. So... When we ran out of turkeys at our distribution on Saturday, we were able to give families a gift card to be able to helpfully go and purchase a turkey. You know, we were limited supply on those, but we were very grateful for that partnership because we just want to make sure that they can have a little normalcy in their lives, even though they may be struggling right now. Mm-hmm. It's so important, I think, from a mental health standpoint to ensure that you can still have a great family time together during the Thanksgiving time frame.
1: And since we're heading into Thanksgiving right now, Trisha, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you like to to cook for the holidays um, and your favorite Thanksgiving dishes from your childhood?
5: Well, I grew up in Western Kentucky and my family was much like many families. Both of my parents only had a formal eighth grade education. My mother went back and got her GED and she was a cosmetologist and uh, my dad did some technical training, but he worked at an auto tire manufacturing facility. We made ends meet. We had a garden. We had fresh produce. They made sure that me and my brother had access to education. They knew that that was going to make the difference for us. And they sacrificed everything that they could to do that. But Thanksgiving was probably one of our favorite holidays as a family. And it was very traditional. But I can remember a couple of things in particular. We had the turkey and dressing and sweet potato casserole and all the things there. But I remember whenever they came out with the fried turkeys, my dad wanted to experiment with that. He, he was a fisherman and he loved to fry fish. So he thought, well, you know, if I can do the fried fish, I can do the fried turkey as well. And I can remember the very first time that he tried to fry one, he actually didn't dry it off well oh. enough. And if you have too much water on the outside of a turkey and you dip that down in the hot oil, that is going to splatter everywhere so you know it's a little bit of trial by error so that's probably a not so funny memory, but sort of in a way. But anyone out there going to fry a turkey, make sure you dry it off first. And then my mom's dressing. I cannot find anyone that can make dressing like my mom. Uh, she lives here now, and she's in a senior living community. You know, she made the best dressing ever. And then whenever my husband came into the picture, when we were dating, I got to go and visit some of his family. You know, every family has their own traditions. Right. And I can remember trying hairy sweet potatoes. You ever heard of those? No. No. So they're basically a big marshmallow, and you wrap the sweet potato mixture around it and you roll it in coconut. Whoa! And then you put it in a pan, and then you bake it, and it sort of has these, like, toasted coconut. But they called them hairy sweet potatoes because (laughs) it looked like that. But they're actually (laughs) delicious. It's almost like an inside-out sweet potato casserole. Sounds like a
1: state fair food, I
5: think. Absolutely, (laughs) right? But, I mean, who knew? Because that marshmallow gets all gooey in the inside. Now, with my family, there's one item that they just will— like revolt if we don't have it and it's something that I tried and I've sort of made my own recipe with because I had tried this food but it's pineapple casserole. I don't know if you've ever had pineapple casserole oh. but it is basically a mixture. I would say it's it's sweet so it's sort of like a cobbler but it has it also like cheddar cheese and Ritz crackers and things in there Whoa. as well. Happy to share the recipe if you want that Absolutely. But, but it is sort of the staple for my family. I only cook twice a year. My family knows that. <laughs> And one of those times is at Thanksgiving. The other time for me is at Easter. That has to be made every Thanksgiving and Easter or the family will revolt. So is that a dessert or a side or just anytime? We use it as a side. Uh-huh. But honestly, my husband will take leftovers and have it for breakfast. So yeah. <laughs> it's, it's one of the things. That's it's, an
1: anytime food.
5: It's an anytime food. I mean, you could put ice cream on it and make a dessert. Absolutely. Ooh. But... But we use it. it's more of a side. Well, thank you
1: so much, Tricia. It was so fun sitting here and chatting with you and learning so much.
5: Well, I can tell you, everyone in the community here, we're all foodies, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter whether you have access to the food that you need or not. Everybody needs food. Everybody has food favorites. And we all know that food brings so many wonderful memories to all of us. So I'm just grateful that we have these times of holidays. I'm grateful for everyone that supports the North Texas Food Bank and the things that we do. And thank you for the opportunity to share a little bit about that.
1: Thank you so much, Tricia. If you need help feeding your family this season or if you want to help others, be sure to visit ntfb.org. And that's all the time we have for Eat, Drink, DFW this week. Thank you all for joining. We also want to hear from you, so share your food thoughts, favorite restaurants, or tasty recipes with us at eatdrink@dallasnews.com. The show is produced by Julie Fisk. To stay up to date on every episode of this show and hear more from our newsroom, just follow the Dallas Morning News wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate the show and give us a good review. Find links to everything we do at dallasnews.com listen. You'll also find a special membership offer there just for listeners. For the news, I'm Aaron Bookie. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.
0: Eat Drink DFW from the Dallas Morning News is made possible by Central Market.